This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by Artbase. Are you managing an art collection or an artist studio or a gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, Artbase is the right software to manage your art business. Artbase allows you to track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data once, and you can use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and so much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com today to learn more and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. Hope everyone's doing well and staying safe. As I've caught up with others in the art world over the past several months, one of the most common topics of discussion has been art fairs, specifically speculation about when physical, in-person art fairs will resume, which is really anyone's guess. At the end of the day, no one really knows, but there seems to be a growing consensus that they won't resume until there's a vaccine or we get to some way in which large indoor gatherings are safe and are happening regularly. And of course, that isn't the case right now. Then the conversations that I've been having generally turn towards what's been going on in the interim, the online-only art fairs. And to be honest, most of the feedback I've heard has been pretty negative. If you think about it, you're almost exclusively attending these alone in your home. I personally open up about 100 tabs or however many galleries there are for that particular fair. I go through the images in each tab, closing them one by one until I've run out of tabs. It feels a little bit soulless, and it really it lacks any dialogue and engagement that you get at an art fair. You're not talking to other collectors, you're not talking to galleries, you're not talking to other attendees, and of course, you can't actually see the art in person. Given all these discussions so many people have been having about art fairs during this time, I came across an article in Kobo Social by Rena Davey, an arts journalist and critic based in Singapore. The article focuses on the issues with both online-only art fairs and the traditional physical art fairs. So we wanted to have Rena on to chat about it with us. So hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me and for reading my article and inviting me to be on this podcast. Of course. Well, we really enjoyed your article and the experience of online art fairs is definitely a hot topic in the art world right now. How would you recap the online art fair experience since the pandemic started and how are different art fairs approaching it? Um, so, okay, essentially... This is what is happening. Um, in spite of the consistent attempts to integrate the experience of art fairs into the digital realm this year, there's been no real sense of breakthrough and innovation, only a very deep-rooted cultural stasis. This was already the sentiments when Art Basel launched its expanded online viewing rooms, or OVR, in June, following the cancellation of its Switzerland edition. And as always at that time, sales reported were brisk. There was quite a bit of programming, such as Zoom talks, etc., in addition to the online showcase of art. 
There were also media headlines such as high octane sales during the VIP preview of the Art Basel second online fair solidify the new normal of the socially distanced art market. But when I looked at the platform itself, virtually attended the programs and spoke to veteran art collectors, um, young visitors and the occasionally honest art dealer. It was a completely different story. They were already starting to use the term vertique, which is short for virtual fatigue. <laughs> I covered the June yeah <laughs> I covered the June Art Basel OVR for Kobo Social, uh, which is a Hong Kong uh, art media platform. And amongst the various quotes I shared in that article was one by a Berlin art gallery director who would not even call Art Basel OVR an event, referring, preferring to use the phrase online catalog. And more recently, you see art fairs attempting hybrid versions, like the recent Freeze Viewing Room, which was launched alongside in-person programming and physical versions of the online art exhibits set up by galleries in their brick and mortar spaces. Admittedly, it would have been exciting for those in London, given how restricted and isolated we all have been all these months, to go out and meet people and see art in the city. But that's not anything different from what people there have been doing all these years before the pandemic. So once again, nothing really new and different. It is basically all these months, it's been more layers of seeing and doing without any added nuance or real depth. Yeah, I've heard a lot of negative feedback about people navigating the online fair platforms and doing it alone without engaging with anyone, and they aren't really discovering new art through the process. What motivated you to write an article investigating this lack of evolution of the online art fair experience? So to be honest, I would not call this article an investigation because it's a quick read analysis at best. And some of the issues I mentioned in the piece are definitely worth an in-depth look on its own. And also this article is part of a series of analytical pieces I have written for Kobo Social looking at the developments in the art world during COVID-19. And in this series, amongst other pertinent issues such as cultural leadership and unemployment in the art world, I've actually been writing about the lack of evolution of the online art fair experience since March this year. Because at that time, Art Basel Hong Kong launched the VIP preview of its online viewing rooms following its cancellation due to the pandemic. And similarly, at the same time, Art Dubai was also offering a slew of digital initiatives in the week of 23rd March in lieu of its postponed fair. So in my article covering these digital initiatives, I stated that online programming and viewing rooms may not necessarily be the long-term replacement the art world clearly needs for its physically present, socially connected workings. It seemed obvious to me even then that something um, elemental was amiss. At that point though, I thought perhaps it was a lack of technology and platform required to provide an authentic viewing experience. And while that is still true to some extent, I think what is lacking is much more than just that. I think instead of considering new possibilities, both virtual and physical, most art fairs and organizations behind them, especially the big name ones, have been reverting to what is already on the table for the past few decades. 
Yeah, and you wrote in your article that you think the sudden shift to online-only art fairs actually manifests a larger problem and a really a lack of progress when it comes to the art fair experience, and not just online-only fairs, but all fairs in general. What exactly did you mean by that? Sure. Um, okay, so to answer that question, I need to backtrack a bit. Um, in 2018, when I was covering the Singapore art scene for regional media, such as Art Asia Pacific, uh, that's an established Hong Kong art publication. I was focused. I was focusing quite a bit on the state of art fairs in the country, in Singapore. At that time, I was even investigating the largest international art fair in Singapore, which would be cancelled at the last minute in January 2019. Um, anyway, back to 2018. So at first, I thought the issues with art fairs I had been seeing the past couple of years was a Singapore-specific problem, but I quickly realised this was not the case. Uh, I mean, I realized that the art fair industrial complex was in fact a global affliction. In an article published in May 2018, um, art the art critic Jerry Saltz eviscerated today's uh, global mega fairs. He said, and these are, this is his words, indeed, art fairs have become like great malls curated to lure people in without focusing on business, employing a stagecraft of entertainments, fine foods, wine tastings, valet parking, VIP lounges, lectures, performances, special prizes, and panel discussions that are mostly about the market or art fairs and binales, often paneled with a rotating few of the same 55 movers and shakers providing self-congratulatory, self-flagellating gravitas to the traveling caravan. I'm constantly reminded of, the, of this description, even when I attend most physical art fairs in Asia. And earlier that same year, in 2018, a New York gallerist, I think Jose Freire, he publicly announced that he would never participate in another fair again after a final showing at Art Basel Hong Kong, stating that people would be better off scrolling through Instagram to view art on sale rather than trudging through a fair. In an interview with Artnet, he even claimed that he hadn't met a single new, new person at various editions of Freeze or Art Basel in the past decade, and there is no longer a curatorial presence at fairs. Most crucially, he said, his gallery suffered its biggest losses at art fairs due to booth costs, exchange rates, fabrication costs, and shipping. See, for all the brisk sales reports we keep hearing all these years, for a lot of galleries, art fairs are really not the money makers they purport to be. The blue chip galleries do well because they always sell, but the rest not so much. In addition, art fairs are not even consequential to the essence of art and being artists. So I talked, to, I talked about all this in my piece for Art Asia Pacific in 2018, titled Jumping on the Broken Bandwagon. I think the title says a lot itself. Uh, yes, it absolutely does. And so what do you think are some of the reasons why we haven't seen major progress in the traditional art fair experience in such a long time? Um, interestingly, the most insightful answers I have found for this question that I've been trying to answer myself for a long time, as uh, the answer that I found is not any from anything or anyone in the art world. Not even when I travel from Taipei to Jakarta to Manila covering art fairs and interviewing cultural stakeholders. This past month, I came across the book. I'm not sure if you've uh, heard of it or read it yet, but um, it's called, it's titled Evil Geniuses, The Unmasking of America. It's a New York Times bestselling book by Kurt Anderson. 
And what interested me most about his book is the way he observed what I've been struggling to pin down and figure out in my own experiences working in and covering the art world for a decade now. It is the state of inertia I kept observing and feeling around me in spite of the immense accelerated gains in technology. So Anderson noticed that a group of fashionable people on the street 20 years ago looked no different from people today. Not just their clothes, hair and makeup even, but a similar comparison between the 50s and the 70s show hugely different looks. He found this trend of what he termed cultural paralysis or cultural stasis to be true throughout culture, such as music, design, cars, and more. According to him, cultural innovation stagnated except in information technology, where unchecked new industrial giants arose. I realized reading his book that one of the most telling signs of this cultural paralysis in the art world is the global art fair industrial complex. There are many reasons for this state, but I think there are two aspects worth focusing on. First is the lack of inclusion and nuanced awareness of people and places beyond spheres of established power and privilege and recognized art centers. These are the individuals and communities quite possibly creating the kind of art and discourse that could foster entirely new ways of thinking and living and working in the art world. An example of it is a very successful and popular fair in Southeast Asia, uh, thus uh, known as Art Jock. It's an annual artist fair held since 2008 in one of Indonesia's established art centers, Jakarta, uh, formerly known as Yogyakarta. Jogja, more of a contemporary art festival with works for sale than the typical art fair format. It's, it's been praised by visitors from the region as a testament to the social power and ethos of the art community in that city. Um, and the, sec okay, the second aspect, second reason that I explore quite a bit in the Kobo art fair piece is the big money supporting the art fairs. This tends to involve the mega corporations and individuals behind major international affairs, from shareholders to sponsors. So we might think that money has very little relevance to lack of change in the traditional art fair format, but hasn't, hasn't it been proven like time and time again throughout history that those with the most wealth and power tend to work the hardest to ensure society at large remains convinced that nothing can possibly change and that the way things are is the only way forward. They only make exceptions for, you know, superficial social tweaks and, of course, technological infrastructure. Honestly, the ties between big banks and art fairs is definitely worth a deeper look. I mean, uh, Hyperallergic did an in-depth piece at, on Fries and Deutsche Bank in January, but we can't just stop with one piece or a few. We need to look deeper because I think it could answer a lot of questions about where we're at now and why we keep producing the kind of content and programs we do in spite of its overall ineffectiveness. And so what do you think the online art fair experience will be like moving forward? Do you think it'll be more of the same or do you think there's the potential for real innovation? So I'm, I'm hoping for real innovation. I always hope for that. Uh -huh. but, I, but I expect more of the same. And to be honest, I'm not so interested in the future of the online art fair experience. I think that will sort itself out without resolving anything real. 
I think real innovation and change happens when people dare to take on, reinvent and rethink the art fair model itself. So a good example is the non-profit New Art Dealers Alliance in New York, which launched a virtual art fair with an alternative profit sharing model. It ran from 20th March to 21st June, and it supported over 200 international galleries that were financially impacted by COVID-19. But what was most interesting about this online initiative is that 20% of each gallery sales was totaled and divided equally among exhibitors, with another 20% going to exhibiting artists. Galleries also paid 10% of their sales back to the organizing body and kept the remaining 50% for themselves. But such efforts are still in spurts, so it needs to be a bit more widespread and have a lot more momentum. Yeah, we'll just have to keep monitoring it and seeing if there are real changes in the future or not. Rena, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate hearing your perspective. Um, I definitely recommend our listeners check out your article if they haven't read it already. What's the best way for them to view it online? Uh, they can go to kobosocial.com. C-O-B-O-S-O-C-I-A-L dot C-O-M. Perfect. Thanks so much again, Rena. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Thanks so much to Artbase for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Are you managing an art collection, an artist studio, or gallery? Is it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, Artbase is the right software to manage your art business. Artbase lets you track your artworks and contacts in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data just once and use that data to generate reports, offers, contracts, and much more. They've got a brand new version out with a whole new look that can be used on the cloud from any location on any device. So what are you waiting for? Go to artbase.com, that's A-R-T-B-A-S-E.com to learn more, and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount.